This is an ABC podcast. If you talk about women chiefs in Samoa, male and female will say to you, well, the first, if you like, national chief who, who united all the families was a woman, Nafanua. But that was then. Just before I got married, my father, who brought me a pig to kill, uh, gave me my name because at that time I was the public prosecutor. That's how I got my title. We are matrilineal society. We inherit the wealth of the family and the, the uh, clan through the women. The ex-combatants physically fought the war, but it was women who actually brought peace. And, and they, they broke peace with their hearts. From Nafanua, the Samoan goddess of war, to ending a civil war in Bougainville, the power of women is without a doubt embedded in Pacific history. But when you hear the word chief, do you still think of a man? Let's blow that stereotype out of the water. I'm Hilda Wayne. Sisters, let's talk about the women across the Pacific who hold this rank and those who have stood in their power despite the impacts of colonization, Christianity, and Western political systems. Tangaloa Tele Peggy Furban Dunlop is an emeritus professor at Auckland University of Technology. Tangaloa Tele is a chiefly or Matai title. Before she moved to New Zealand from Samoa, she was bestowed this name. Well, it's often described as the Fa Matai or leadership by the Matai is actually the whole framework of Samoan society in the country and outside the country and the networks. So the Matai is family-based. It's your family that asks you to be their leader. And then from the family, it goes to the village because the Matai are the chiefs who make the village laws, and that's legally as well as traditionally. And then it stretches right through to national government because only Matai can stand for national government in Samoa. And the other thing is that you will never get to stand for national government if your village has not okayed your your position to stand. In fact, often, you know, there's a big dis- village discussion first about who will, will stand. So in the Whaasamoa, everybody is part of a family and every family has a matai. And that is your identity. It's your role. It's your place within the society generally and nationally. Because every matai is linked to land, and land is held in customary tenure, which is under the leadership of or under the decision-making of the matai of the village. So identity, security, well-being, all of those things are very much tied up to your family and your family status and your identity as a Samoan, I guess you'd say. Mm. How does one earned the title of Matai? Well, probably the most famous uh, word, if you like, in the Whaasamoa is service, tautua. So the Matai is here, of course, and dependent on the tautua or the service of the people who, who have put him or her there 
and who maintain her there, him or her there, and who provide the resources, if you like, to to maintain the status of that Matai title because in Samoa it's sort of a nationally ranked titles, you know, four major titles and also smaller ones. But whatever your family do, you have the potential to increase the status of your Matai or your family or if you do something wrong, then you it's the potential to lower it as well. So we are all part of our family. And going to the ceremonies, what ceremonies are associated with this? A chief-making title is called the Salfa'i. There's a Salfa'i where you all come together and other chiefs from your village come together and maybe chiefs from other villages and you go through like a kava ceremony. But from the beginning, it is always a... um, if you like, prayers, spiritual. So there's always a pastor there who says a prayer for the occasion and acknowledges that the knowledge of the chief comes from on high. Tangaloa Tele Peggy Furban Dunlop says in Samoan society, every person, male or female, has the right to be appointed by their family as a matai and that more women in Samoa and overseas are being bestowed the title, with the number doubling in the decade leading up to 2017. Although women are being made matais or being yeah, appointed matais, usually they are in the lower titles because, you know, it's a ranch system. Often they are overseas and often they do not participate so much in village politics from their own choice and apparently from the choice of the male Matai who sit in the village councils as well. How has the role changed, particularly when it comes to the diaspora? I think that's a remarkable thing because the role of the Matai hasn't actually changed significantly. It is still the same process. Like, For example, in Wellington here, we have our family, which is a larger family unit, and if there's a... For a lave lave or a birth or a death or something which needs going to together to support, then we all contribute our resources from each of the lines. You know, we would contribute it and usually we go as a joint, as a joint contribution. But in terms of decision making, it's the same. We have our kinship group, if you like, family meetings, and we make joint decisions at that line, at that you know, at that level as well. But she also says there are still villages in Samoa that don't give these titles to women, including her own. Okay, I come from a village that doesn't. So my my title is from a different village that bestowed it on me. So there's still about, you know, more than 17 villages that just don't do it because they say that it's, you know, against tradition, that there are male and female different Um, domains of work and knowledge and aspiration. So what are the pitfalls? Well, as far as I can see that the main pitfall is that by looking at decisions or by looking at things which crop up mainly from a male angle, then you are not getting a, a wider understanding of a particular problem. Women have knowledge. Women's contribution to any discussions or to any enterprise increases, there's a beautiful phrase, increases the pool of knowledge from which 
creative solutions can be made. Very well said. Why are you urging more village-based women to put themselves forward for leadership where it is possible? I guess that goes back to my um, high level of interest in violence. And a few years ago, I had a fabulous master's student who did her thesis on on family violence in Samoa, and she's since done other Pacific countries. But what she found is that this young girl had been violated in the village and absolutely nobody heard. At that time, I asked her who was sitting in the village council when this decision was made. And she said, it's all males. And then in my head, I thought, I mean, the case went nowhere. She took it there. It didn't go any further. And so I, my thinking has always been if women were sitting at that table, there may have been better solutions. That was Tanganoa teller Peggy Furburn Dunlop. And a better solution was something that the women of Bougainville were able to achieve while their region was ravaged with war. You're listening to Sisters Let's Talk on ABC Radio Australia. Ursula Rakova is from the Atolls of Bougainville. She is the executive director of Tulele Pesa on Cartwright Island. A climate activism and work with this organization is something we are going to go into in another episode. From 1988 to 1998, about 20,000 people died in Bougainville's brutal civil war. One in ten Bougainvilleans and more than 60,000 were displaced. Women were crucial in ending this conflict. Uh, women, women in Bougainville played an important role alongside the uh, what we now uh, know as the ex-combatants. Um, ex-combatants physically fought the war, but it was women who actually brought peace, and and they they broke peace with their hearts. It it wasn't really um, it they they did not use physical means to bring peace. Um, they used songs, they used prayers, um, they walked the mountains together, um, and they just spread and did evangelization on peace. They were able to negotiate peace talks and use their traditional status as women. Because Bougainville is a matrilineal society, women are landholders and decision makers. Coming from a matriarchal society means that uh, land is inherited through the uh, maternal line, which means that the land that um, I own on the island was handed down by my great-grandmother to my grandmother to my mother to me, and then I should um, hand it down to my daughter. So this is how land is inherited in my society. As colonization diluted the power women have uh, uh, held traditionally? To some extent, yes. Um Previously, um, we, 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 we women actually um, made decisions and we, we handed those decisions to our maternal uncles or our brothers who orated those decisions to, to everyone um, on the island. The situation now is um, because of uh, colonization and Christianity, um, where it says that uh, men have the upper hand. 
uh, basically I has led uh, men to uh, becoming chiefs and becoming the big men in uh, on the island, the, that kind of thing. And and to some extent, it it's um it it actually has also um, degraded that value, the value of uh, culture and recognition for women. How much is the matrilineal society reflected in the modern Western political systems in Bougainville, and how much have women, women's power, been regained? I should say that politically we have gained a fifty percent recognition, and and this fifty percent could increase because uh, we have uh, women reps uh, in each of the regions in Bougainville, which is a big big plus for us even in our constitution, in our Bougainville constitution, because we have uh, women who, who have been uh, elected in, in, in all those regions. Um, and so we have women reps who are already there representing us. But it does not stop women also from standing in their own constituencies. And, and almost uh, more than 10 women in the last uh, election stood for their uh, uh, Ursula Rakova says this means as Bougainville moves towards independence, women will be instrumental in guiding the way. Most of Papua New Guinea is patriarchal, but places like New Island Province are also matrilineal. This is where businesswoman Janet Roland Sios is from, on her mother's side. We inherit the wealth of the family and the, the uh, clan through the women. And so women play a leading role in decision-making to do with the clan and to do with certain events. But the men are still the head of the families and the individual families, and, and they still support the clan. But in terms of making major decision, then it is the women that make that decision and the men just carry it out. Wow, that's that's really interesting. I come from Western Islands, uh, yes, and, and you know that we, that is quite a foreign concept. Um, yes, you said men are still head of the families. So how do you how do you go about negotiating that? Yeah, so we we they, there's no negotiation. They they more or less know their places in in our society back in New Island, and. Janet, what do they call the chiefs or the leaders uh, there in your community and the province? Well, on, on the Cadian side, you might have heard of Mai Mai. They call them Mai Mai, means, you know, chief. But in the Matanai side, it's called Watong, W-A-T-O-N-G, basically the same as a chief, yeah. What does a chief do? Basically, the chief's role is to make sure there's harmony among the clan, making sure that when there is a feast, every, she goes ahead or she, my mom used to do it. Just go in the morning, early morning, six o'clock. She tells each of the clan member what to do. You bring this, you do this, you be there this, and you do, the men have to go and do the, the certain types of work, like cleaning the, the burial grounds, or the women have to go and prepare the food, or you bring this and you do this. So that delegation of roles and responsibility is the chief of the clan, and it's nom- nom- normally, you know, a woman. 
Mm. And and your mother um, was chief. How did she get into yeah. that that role? I think the way I saw it is that normally there, there were a lot of older people than her, her her sisters or her, her even she might have grandmothers that are older than her. But I think she inherited the leadership because she was in Rabaul and she would be the main one to to support them, come back home and re relate to them and come back home and make big feasts and contribute to the major decision or major feasting in the village. And so that inheritance came from the, the clan from at certain times at, the, at those times came rested with my mom because of the role she started to to take herself as she knew her position in in the society. And she knew her position that she finally is going to be the one to make decision on all those all those uh, clan and assets in the village. So she was the decision maker in our clan. So we've got a piece of so a few major pieces of land that are still there, and she's in charge of that those lands. So if if anyone, if any of our own clan members uh, and their families and their children would like to occupy any one of the clan land, they need to ask permission from my mom first. Now, Janet, your mom has passed on. Um, are you a chief now or do you have to go through some ceremonial sort of no, ceremonial processes to, 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 to get no, that? No, I automatically take it because the land, like... If you look at that, where my mom comes from, maybe maybe half or even more than half, maybe two thirds of the land belongs to my clan. That's huge. So, yeah. So that all that land and all that decision making of what is done with those pieces of land and the property, like the plantation or anything there, then those decisions they have to consult me. And uh, yes. Janet, do you think women uh, from matrilineal clans are able to get more leadership roles in PNG society outside of your community? We are already doing it. You, you talk about a lot of New Island women are very powerful, very strong, and they are taking leadership roles both in high levels. Even Secretary Margaret um, Elias was a, a leader. Winifred Kamit is a leader. So the women of New Island have extended their leadership role in clans and society in New Ireland to higher levels of corporate and governments uh, in, in Papua New Guinea. And they're exercising those uh, leadership roles. And you'll see that our men, yes, they are there. They are at the back to support us. But the women take the leading role to be up front. Janet Roland Sears' title was passed down from her mother. But in other places like Vanuatu's Pentecost Island, women come into their roles in different ways. You're listening to Sisters Let's Talk on ABC Radio Australia. Kaylin Tavoa was Vanuatu's public prosecutor from 2005 to 2013. My mother is the, the, the elder sister of the father to independence of Vanuatu, um, Walter Hadidini. My mother is the firstborn. Oh, wow. So, okay. Yes. Amazing. So uh, she was involved in politics just to ensure that um, the women were included in the fight for political independence. And my, of course, my maternal aunt is Hilda um, Lini. So 
Yeah, I come from a very strong line of women who were politically and uh, culturally motivated in the, the society. And uh, um, I guess that's the type of person I became because I wanted to be, they were my role models. Amazing, yeah. And what are some qualities that you kind of uh, value and you got from this line of women? Okay, well, um, I think to be able to speak out, say what I actually feel and not hide it, even when I'm with a man, I am able to say it. I know when my advice is not required and when I need to accept that this is uh, totally um, men decision and not uh, women should not be involved. The other thing is to be always independent and I know that the rule of law is above above all in in Port Vila especially and in Luganville the rule of law must always be abided but when we get back to the village we always know that um, there are village norms and cultures traditions that um, you you have to follow. She is from the north of Pentecost Island and women chiefs play an important role in the community, especially during important ceremonies like weddings and funerals. Before you get to that stage, like as a woman, um, there are different initiations that you go through to become a, a woman chief, per se. That's fascinating. Can you describe those initiation ceremonies? Okay. Um, Sometimes if like your parents decide at a very young age that they want you to be, to become a, um, a decision maker. So they, they will make you kill a pig and they give you a name, a custom name. Um, you grow up um, with that name for a while, but and then um, they decide that no, they want you to go into the next stage. And when they wanted to go into the next stage, they call it, it's in our dialect, it's Haroro Nakamali, which means they are going to make you um, go into the Nakamal where some decisions are made in that that Nakamal or that uh, Tabu house or mm, Nakamal, yeah. How they call it in, yeah, Nakamal. A sacred house or something like that. Yes. Ah. So... <clears throat> If uh, if they decide that that's what they want you to do, then um, they will call upon your aunties um, in the early hours of any morning that they decide, and they take you to the sea, where you will uh, you will they will cut your hair, and then you you commence with the initiation process where you buy different different, um, let's say, different adornments like comb, uh, um, the necklace, feather on the head. So you you buy different adorn- adornments to get into the higher, to get higher in status in that, uh, in that particular time, uh, which they have decided. Um, it could be before your wedding. It could be after your wedding. Um, it could be when they see that you are, are ready to become a decision maker in the society. You came into your title in a different way, Kaylin. How did, can you tell us about that? Oh, yes. Um, just before I got married, my, the, my father who made, who brought me a pig to kill, uh, gave me my name because at that time I was the public prosecutor. 
I had been working in the office for a number of years before I became the public prosecutor. So that's how I got my title because of the decision making that I was making as a prosecutor um, in different parts of Vanuatu, going through on different islands and carrying out that role to prosecute offenses uh, to them and to the men is not easy being a woman. Mm. And uh, because I was able to do that, that's how uh, before I got married, um, I got I killed a pig and they gave me that name. Um, it's Motari Khabioda and that's um, it connotes a like a it's like uh, let's say um, anything that I say lights up or is fire. Wow, Something, that's amazing. Yeah, that yeah. So because of that, amongst my brothers, they know that I. Um, I have this leadership role, even they are my brothers. Uh, one is a, a big chief, but he will always have my opinion. Uh, that's something that is good about our society is he will always have my opinion because he knows in customary wealth, I carry his wealth for him. Galen Tavoa says to her, being a woman chief is not about getting what you want, when you want. It's about the decisions you make that affect society. You, we will notice that times have changed from um, when our parents were there and now we are here, from us to our children and then to our grandchildren. If we are not careful, we will lose this respect and the um, how you hold your society together to ensure and that's something that I said, it's um, you will always try to ensure that there's an equilibrium between all these different state stages that you have in, in your society. Because otherwise there'll be a big difference from you to your grandchildren that it can affect the society where you just forget what traditions and culture you should rely on and you just rely on what the Western world has brought us. and. That's the world that we always fear to go there because people will forget who they are in society. That was Vanuatu's former public prosecutor, Kaylin Tavua. This is Sisters Let's Talk with Hilda Wayne. Coming from a patriarchal area of Papua New Guinea myself, it has been fascinating for me to learn about how a woman's position in her community translates to leadership in wider society and government. Thank you to the incredible leaders that have come on the show today. Tangalowatele Peggy Furban Dunlop, Ursula Rakova, Janet Roland Sios, and Kaylin Tavoa, who are all translating their traditional roles into the modern world and ensuring their status, and the culture that comes with it is maintained. And thank you for joining me, Hilda Wayne, for Sisters Let's Talk on ABC Radio Australia. If you've missed an episode of the show, catch up on our podcast. In the Pacific, just search for Sisters Let's Talk where we get your podcasts. If you've got a topic you'd like me to cover on the show or any feedback, I'd love to hear from you. Send me a message anytime at the ABC Radio Australia Facebook page or email sisters at abc.net.au. That is S-I-S-T-A-S at abc.net.au. 
next time on Sisters Let's Talk, what draws a landlocked Highlander woman to a male-dominated job at sea? I did two back-to-back trips, a total of, I think, about 54 to 60 days. My other longest trip was when I was three months pregnant with my daughter. I had I spent uh, 40 days out at sea. Yes, my morning sickness, it, that was my worst trip out of all my trips ever since I joined the program. That's next time on Sisters Let's Talk. Sisters Let's Talk is an ABC Radio Australia production presented by me, Hilda Wayne. Our producer is Alice Matthews, supervising producer is Kim Lester, and Falianga Fulu, Inga Stunsna, is our executive producer. Sisters Let's Talk is created on Wiradjuri, Nanawal, Nambri, Yagara, Turrbal, and Darunbal country. And we pay our respects to elders past and present. Emtasona Bungimu next time. 